Listen to challenging topics and insightful conversations. We don't just report the news. We provide the real story behind the headlines by talking to global decision makers and influential figures. This is The Agenda. This week on The Agenda, bridging the gender gap. Why do opportunities for women and men seem as far apart as ever? Nine out of ten people across the world are biased against women, according to the UN's latest Gender Social Norms Index. The alarming report also found half of people in 80 countries believe men make better political leaders. 40% believe men are better business executives. And a quarter believe it's justified for men to beat their wives. And it seems the drive towards gender equality is now in reverse. Joining me now from New York is Raquel Lagunas, the Global Director of Gender Equality at the UN Development Programme. Thanks for, for joining us to talk about this. I mean, it's, it's shocking. Are we living in 2023 or 1923? Uh, <laughs> this is, is really, is really alarming. And what we have observed uh, between the first release of that data three years ago, four years ago, and now there is no change, no noticeable change. So it's not just that the numbers are alarming, it's that the progress is, 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 is very, very slow and even un not noticeable. So, yeah, we are facing a situation where we need to rethink as societies which kind of democracy or social contract are we looking for where women are second citizens, third citizens. So, yeah, it's very alarming. Let, let's talk about how this study was put together and what it really reveals. I mean, is it an accurate snapshot of social norms everywhere and across sectors? It's covering 85% of the population we are using the global uh, value survey. So indicators are, uh, are constructed, built based on surveys, uh, perception surveys, and are pretty accurate. So the dimensions are three dimensions, the political, the in physical integrity, and the economic dimension. So and I would say are pretty accurate. And 85% of, of population is very representative. So if this bias against women is entrenched, the UN's aim of achieving gender equality by 2030 seems like a pipe dream, doesn't it? Yeah, but yes, yes. But let, let, let's address the positive aspect of what we are saying in the report is also that social norms are not written in a stone. It's very much up to us. It can change and it already has been evolving, right? So there are different, different ways of addressing this problem. What really is a, a, something that we found out and is very interesting is that many times we make assumptions. Like, for instance, if we invest in education, women will access to the labor market. It is proven that we made great progress in women's access into education, but the numbers, the statistics on women's access into the labor market, formal economy, are, uh, uh, are stacked for, for the last, I don't know, 20 years. So this is helping all of us. It needs to help all of us and governments to realize that there is this component, this dimension of 
social norms, values, belief systems of societies that are influencing and shaping uh, the access to, for instance, access to jobs or are influencing the uh, physical integrity of half of the no half of the population of, of countries so it's a very relevant uh, relevant finding so when we develop for instance governments develop labor policies they need to include yes or yes a component on social norms change this is just an example but something the un is calling for is greater recognition um, for women's economic contributions um, to society including unpaid work i mean how though is that going to make a difference? That's a very good question. It's one of my favorite ones, if you, are, if you allow me. So for UNDP, uh, for our organization, we are really making an effort to help countries to uh, have what we call integrated care systems. It means that we combine extension of, of care systems, of daycares, so the, the, the women can have free time to access to training, to better education, to access to the labor market, combined with interventions that ensure the redistribution of, uh, of, of care, right? Like paternity leaves. It is proven that paternity leaves are big drivers of cultural change and big drivers of this redistribution of, of, of the care work. So as far as you have this connection between between the policies with the norms change you can you can move the uh, the needle you can move the agenda if you have more women who can access yeah. to the labor market you promote economic empowerment right you promote women accessing to even decision making positions it's a kind of interconnected uh, positive consequences Something else that, that stood out that I found quite jaw-dropping in this report is that it revealed a quarter of people surveyed think a man beating his wife is okay. I mean, we're talking about you know, direct threats here to, to, to women's safety. Big concerns, right? Well, it's really, it's concerning, it's alarming, but it's at the same time responding to the very alarming reality that we see every day in every single country, responding to the reality of femicides responding to the reality that one out of three women have experienced across their lives physical and or sexual violence against them. The numbers are, and the number of women dying, killed every day is what is really alarming. This is the social norm, the statistic that you are mentioning, 25% of population justifies that, is, the, is what is sustaining this practice, this this um, this reality. So, is it improbable or impossible to achieve gender equality? If not by 2030, then even in our lifetimes? It is possible. It should be possible. And this this uh, report that it has been first of all shocking for us is just giving the clues on the way forward on what do we need to do to make progress and to accelerate. And traditionally, these uh, are kind of values or perceptions or belief systems were pretty intangible and invisible. So the fact that now we know how this is working in the, in the context of the gender inequality is just giving us the hopes <laughs> that if we address and we target uh, uh, through policies and other entry points, 
the social norms change, it can happen, it should happen, because gender social norms are values are not written in stone. So at the same time, it gives us more information and clues on the solutions that we are looking for. Raquel Lagunas, thank you very much. Thank you to you. The World Economic Forum has also recently released its own Global Gender Gap Index, which suggests the gender gap is still closing, even if at an extremely slow rate. With me now is WEF Managing Director Sadia Zahidi. Sadia, I want to talk about your gender equality report, because digging in, it does seem to show some small shoots of recovery, if you like, but only very, very small. I mean, how disappointed are you by this report? I think it's very clear looking at this report that at best we can only say that we've started to reach again the levels that were being achieved in terms of gender parity pre-pandemic. But if we look at the overall rate of change over the last 17 years that we've been measuring this gender gap, um, it's still going to take us 131 years to get to parity. So progress has essentially nearly stopped. I mean, COVID, as you say, had a severe impact on the gender gap, with many women in particular taking on those carer roles. Is that still being felt then, or have we recovered? I think there's various elements. During the sort of immediate emergency of the pandemic and work-from-home mandates and, and schools um, either shutting down or sending children back in the home, that care responsibility definitely felt, um, felt more disproportionately on women. I think now we're seeing a, a different set of trends together. One is that that care infrastructure um, never really got built um, and it wasn't there pre-pandemic and uh, very few countries or communities have taken that forward now today. And so that overall burden is still disproportionately on women, but there's more things happening. There's also, of course, um, how much digitization and how much more uh, integration of technology took place during the pandemic and now continues to take place even more rapidly, that continues to disrupt sectors and roles where women have tended to have high levels of employment and therefore adding another structural factor into the mix. You talk about things that have disrupted um, the, the state of play. So what do you see that the biggest obstacles to, to achieving gender parity? Um, and, and what is it that's really keeping that gender gap still so wide? No, one element, if we don't even look at the last few years of uh, major disruption, um, what was happening before uh, was also highly problematic, and that is essentially either the explicit or the implicit biases in organizations when it comes to hiring women, retaining women, and promoting women. Um, a second element that is a sort of a, a perennial issue is um, the, the rise of women into political leadership, this still remains very low across the world. But then there's additional disruptions that have taken place in the last few years. One, of course, lower economic growth, high levels of inflation, that has a disproportionate impact on women. And then the second element is this technological change uh, and what that is doing to both the roles that women are largely present in, but also the lack of women into the growing, high-growing roles of the future that do require a lot of technology skills, that's where there's a new gap emerging. So let's talk about those roles of the future, um, STEM in particular, so science, technology, engineering and mathematics, where women are significantly underrepresented with less than 30% of jobs 
in that field filled by women. So there are some initiatives around, some governments are pushing initiatives, but perhaps not with a big enough impact, or at least not yet. What's it going to take to change that? So two things there, the, the, the differences there are, are really stark. So when we look at the drop from entry-level roles to CXO roles overall, um, that goes from about 46% to about 25%. When we look at just those STEM roles, that CXO level presence is less than just about 12%. So, so less than half of, the, of that 25%. So we're talking about very, very stark differences, which means one, there has to be a much greater focus on getting girls into STEM education in high school, um, having more women graduate from colleges and universities with STEM degrees, and ensuring that upskilling and reskilling efforts, which are widely underway, are actually focusing on getting more technology literacy skills, AI and big data skills to women that are already in the workforce. These three things are going to be critical. And then of course, the employers in these roles um, or for these roles have to change what they are doing to ensure that they're providing environments and hiring and retention processes that get more women into those workplaces. And can you give me some examples of places are putting those plans into place and making changes happen? What's interesting is STEM education um, does not appear to be a, a luxury good that's only being taken forward in advanced economies um, or is only being taken forward in um, those countries that already have very high levels of university enrollment. Interestingly, STEM education is actually quite prevalent for women when it comes to emerging markets. But there are essentially no shining examples around the world of countries that are integrating more women into those STEM or technology roles. Some industries are better than others. So for example, across the health industry or across the education industry, which already tend to be um, fairly um, large employers of women, that is where the roles that relate to technology within those industries also then tend to employ more women. But the converse is also true. Industries that do not employ a lot of women to begin with in leadership roles like IT, like engineering, like energy, those also tend to be the ones that have very few women in STEM-related leadership. You've been looking at uh, political leadership as well as um, corporate leadership. I mean, what strategies or policies do you think are needed to, to, to really generate and mobilise change there? Yeah, when it comes to corporate leadership, this is really going to have to come in part from targets that are set by companies about their leadership roles. Um, when when we looked at this data, we're, we're sort of describing it almost as a, as a drop to the top. So you have many, uh, most countries, in fact, around the world, um, having more women than men graduate from university. You then get to about 46% at the entry level. And then as you look across the hierarchy of organizations, you get to about 25% by the time you get to the C-suite. Now, that can only change if organizations put a conscious effort on ensuring that at every step along the way, there is gender equality when it comes to hiring panels, when it comes to the pools of candidates, when it comes to considerations for who's going to be considered for the very top. And then, of course, the ecosystem around this has to be supportive. For some large companies, they can afford to provide that system. They can look at providing um, parental leave. They can look at providing additional support for care responsibilities. 
they can look at providing reskilling and upskilling. But for most small and medium-sized businesses, that's going to have to come from governments. They need to be providing the care infrastructure that allows for this talent to be unleashed into the workforce. I know some corporates are doing it voluntarily, but do you think that it should be part of the reporting season where they're at in terms of um, gender parity? So some economies, um, in some cases for over a, over a decade, um, and in, in Europe and the UK, there are quotas, for example, uh, related to corporate boards. There's also increasingly, when it comes to the S of ESG reporting, there is a focus on gender equality in some countries and environments mandatory in other cases not. So there is starting to be much greater consciousness. But I think beyond the statistics and the reporting, there have to be some bolder experiments, some bolder policies put in place where organizations put down some big bets and actually try to get more changes made when it comes to senior leadership. Sadia Zahidi, always great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Still to come here on the agenda, leading the way, we'll hear how one Chinese company is proving a female forward approach is the key to a successful business. Welcome back to the agenda. We've heard the alarming statistics from the UN and the World Economic Forum, but there are some companies that have made sure that female representation is at the very heart of their businesses. In the travel sector, Chinese company Trip.com is leading the way. And I'm joined now by CEO Jane Sun. Jane, your business is growing, but so too is your gender balance. Uh, Trip.com Group leads the, the travel industry in female representation. You've got 50% plus female employees and women in almost half of all leadership positions. So what are you doing that others aren't? Uh, Trip.com is one of the major internet companies uh, in China and in Asia uh, because I'm the only uh, very few female CEOs uh, in the major internet companies. Our chairman and myself always feel a uh, lot of responsibility to pave the way to support our female leaders. So we do quite a lot for our policy to be able to empower our female leaders. For example, when a female is uh, pregnant, we offer free taxi to bring them to work and take them home. When the baby is born, we give them 800 as a gift, 3,000 as uh, education fee. When they come to work, we offer very nice nursing rooms and flexible working hours. And we don't still don't think that's enough. Uh, so for a lot of high talented uh, women employees, after they get their PhDs, they're already at the age of 28. And the doctors normally will classify any pregnancies after 35 as high risk of pregnancy. So we're only giving them seven years to build a career, build a family, and have children. And that is very demanding. So now we have a policy. If our woman uh, employees would like to use high technology uh, to have their eggs frozen, we will pay for it. And it is a very well welcomed uh, by our women employees in the company. And recently we just have another policy which received very uh, good uh, welcome by female workers. Uh, for, the in, for the employees who gave birth after July 1st of this year, on their children's birthday, we will give 10,000 per year 
from age one to age five. By doing that, we commit one billion RMB uh, for this endeavor to support yeah. our employees uh, to achieve the uh, empowerment of uh, gender equality as well as women's leadership. So those are some alluring incentives you're, you're offering there. You're saying it's not just about hiring women, it's about finding reasons to, to keep them. But uh, you're, you're a big, fast-growing company with a contingency Correct. fund. Trickier, perhaps, Correct. for, for a startup, for, for someone smaller. Yes. So for us, actually, uh, we also, it's a bigger commitment. But right now, uh, because the population birth rate uh, is uh, uh, decreasing, so we have, we discussed internally, and we believe this is the right, right thing to do not only uh, for our company it's good for the community uh, for the nation as well so what do you make then of, the, of these recent reports from the united nations from the the world economic forum showing that 90 percent of the world is still biased against women what, why do you think that is because women as my grandmother's generation my grandmothers are very smart but they were taught they're supposed to stay home to take care of their children. So they never had a college education. And in my mother's generation, we, they were taught women can hold half of the sky. So my mother became an engineer, chemistry engineer, and my mother-in-law became a physics professor. So they were able to work, but most of them become individual contributors rather than a leader which can lead a big team. And in my generation, fortunately, uh, we are able to have an opportunity to work just as our peers, uh, as the male counterparts. However, we still have a lot of uh, hurdles to overcome because right now women is considered uh, not only need to be very successful uh, in Korea, they also need to uh, raise children very successfully uh, bring a family very successfully, and the standard to evaluate women and uh, men uh, sometimes are not uh, very equal. So I always tell our employees, uh, we need to be prepared to invest twice as much efforts as our other counterparts. Uh, but uh, the good thing is we also get to set the harvest when it's from our career, when it's from our families. Now, you believe that, that every organization must have women at the executive and board levels um, and be mindful um, of benefits for female employees. That's what your business Correct. is doing. But, but are, are others in the industry taking notes? Are others also working to create that more level playing field? Yeah, I think it's important uh, to do the right thing. Uh, our company definitely uh, has lots of uh, creative policies which support women uh, leaders and women employees. And as a result, more than 50% of our workforce are women. More than 40% of the middle managers are women. And more than one third of the executives are women. And for that, we're very proud of our workforce. And I'm sure uh, many more companies uh, will consider and start to uh, do the right thing for their women employees as well. Where do you think that real impetus for, for change is going to come from? Is it going to be top down? Is it going to be bottom up? You know, entre entrepreneurs like you, 
big business, the next generation of workers, mm. governments, or is it going to need to be a combination of all of those things? Yeah, I think it takes uh, the whole world to put uh, concerted efforts to promote women's leadership. Uh, it needs to come from individual. We also need to be uh, more assertive uh, when we uh, build our career. We also need to encourage our kids to be braver. Uh, at the community level, we also need to build a social network to support our women uh, workers. Uh, in a company level, uh, companies need to have progressive policy to support their women employees. At the government level, they also need to uh, put together a supporting infrastructure uh, to, do so, to do that. At UN level, at global level, we also need to see a global concerted efforts to support women around the world. Jameson, you're a trailblazer. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Coming up soon on the agenda, the future of Hong Kong. We speak to Christopher Hui, the Secretary for Financial Services and the Treasury. But for now, from me, Juliet Mann, and from all the Agenda team here in London, goodbye. Mm -hmm.